Thank you so much for listening to this parenting podcast in the Training Up Children series. Pastor Mike Dingus of the People's Baptist Church teaches on important and helpful subjects on raising children in the Lord. As the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We pray these are a help and benefit to you and your family as you seek to please the Lord in your home. May God bless you. Proverbs chapter 22. I mentioned this on Sunday night. Uh, lately, for the last several months probably, I've been feeling a little guilty because as uh, I've gotten older, uh, I probably haven't preached as much about parenting and raising children as probably I did 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And uh, somebody said years ago, it's a shame that you, know, you raise your kids and you, know, you go through all the ups and downs and trial and errors and different things like that. And so by the time uh, you're done raising your kids, you finally figured it out. Now you figure out how to be a good parent, but the problem is now you are done raising kids, and when the grandkids come along, you don't want to raise them, you just want to spoil them and, and you know, give everything to them that they want and all that stuff. And so uh, I, I was feeling a little guilty the last couple of months. I said, you know, I need to teach on parenting just a little bit, uh, but I don't want it to be taught in such a way where everybody here that's not a parent says, ah, I'm not going to go to Wednesday night for the next two weeks because it's about parenting. And so I guess I'm, I'm sensitive towards that. So I'm going to try to teach on parenting, but I'm not going to try to teach it in a way where everybody finds it boring that's not a parent. Uh, although, let me say this, the best time to learn how to figure out how to be a mother or father is before you have kids, okay? You know, that is the best thing in the world. Honestly, I learned probably 90% of what I know about parenting when I was on a bus route before I had kids. Uh, because working with 50, 60 kids, you know, you kind of get an idea how to handle the, you know, the pest one, the proud one, the bully, the one that's lazy, the one that's late. You know, I mean, you, you name it, we had it on our bus. And uh, trying to keep these kids together for a couple of hours on a hot bus, uh, you know, driving up and down the Dan Ryan Expressway, that's a challenge. And getting them all back on the bus after church, that's another challenge. Getting them back to the right house, that's a very interesting challenge. And I could tell you stories all day about that. But anyway, I don't want to teach in such a way where people say, ah, you know, this is not for me. Uh, but I do want to teach on parenting. But I, I think that um, as we look at some of these things, I'm, I believe it will be helpful to anybody that's here. And if you don't have kids, take notes. And uh, otherwise, I hope that it's a blessing to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again so much for allowing us, Lord, on this earth to be part of your plan. Lord, uh, we are allowed, Lord, to, to be uh, part of the grace of life, Lord, bringing another soul uh, into a a body, Lord, that you can then uh, use for your glory and honor. Lord, what a great thing it is. What a fearful responsibility it is to raise a person, Lord, and prepare them uh, for their future. Lord, these little boys and girls, these little babies, Lord, one day will be uh, husbands and wives. They'll be fathers and mothers, and they'll be, uh, again, uh, the next leaders in, in society. Lord, we pray that we would do nothing to hinder them. We pray that we would do everything as, as much as possible right to prepare them to uh, have them be ready, Lord, for you to take up the, uh, the take, take them under your yoke and take them where you want them to go. Lord, I pray that you put your hand of wisdom and discernment upon every person here that is a parent and will be a parent in the future. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing, Lord, in Sunday school and the bus ministry to children. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing through junior church and through our, our, our VBS and different things, Lord, whether it be camp or patch club. Help us, Lord, to uh, realize the the goal, uh, Lord, is to have boys and girls become men and women and that they would serve you greatly and serve you in their generation. Please give us wisdom, Lord, and help us. We uh, ask that you would be with us tonight 
and we ask for your guidance. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. He taketh my burden away. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. And covers me there with his hand. With numberless blessings, each moment he crowns, and filled with his fullness divine. I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, for such a Redeemer as mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. When clothed in his brightness, transported I rise to meet him in clouds of the sky his perfect salvation his wonderful love i'll shout with the millions on high he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand 
with his hand and covers me there with his hand. All right, thank you, Miss Stacy. I appreciate it so much. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we come before you and we ask you to continue to guide us, Lord, where you put us. Lord, we believe if you give us the privilege of being parents, Lord, whether it's a mother or a father, Lord, we pray that you would just now give us that discernment that we need to be what our children need us to be. Lord, may we continually, Lord, do what they uh, need and what is best for them. Help us, Lord, to be sacrificial. Help us, Lord, to, uh, again, put ourselves last and put you and our children before us and Lord, may we, again, see a great uh, generation of young people rise up to be able to serve you and follow you long after we're gone. Please uh, guide us, Lord, now as we speak about, again, working with people and working especially with our children these next several weeks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first principle I want to uh, speak about tonight is the principle of holding on and letting go. The principle of holding on and letting go. There's always a delicate balance uh, I know one time somebody asked my father about how did he raise me, and one of the things my father said was something along that line. He says, you know, you have to know when to hold on, and you have to, let, uh, you have to know like, when to let them go. And I, I would honestly uh, say that it's a very important principle. Look in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41. Luke chapter 2, verse number 41. So again, the first principle, parents, I want to speak with you is this matter of knowing when to pull the children closer and not let them go further away, and when to push them and to cause them to become more independent, if you will. There's a delicate balance there, and it has to be done at the right time in the right way with the right spirit. And of course, everyone's goal here is really for our children to be successful. Uh, I believe that it's my job to prepare my children to live without me. Listen to the statement, my job is to work myself out of a job. Let me say that again. Moms and dads, your job is to work yourself out of a job. What do I mean by that? I want my children to basically be ready to follow God without me. I will, if nature takes its normal course, there's going to come a time when my children will be here without me. I do not want them to falter or fail. I want them to be moving full steam ahead, stop to do my funeral, and keep on going, and look forward to seeing me in heaven one day. And so again, we as parents, there's a delicate balance here that sometimes in life, and some of it might be, again, just our day and age and so forth, but that really shouldn't play a part in it. We need to have this balance of holding on and letting go. Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse number 41, the Bible says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the what? Child, Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his father knew not of it. And they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding, and answers. Most of you know the story. Now watch. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? 
Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Now watch, verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth and was what? Subject unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Let me say this, there was a time when Jesus responded to Mary and was subject to Mary and Joseph. There was a time when he lived at home when he again realized that the right thing to do was to obey them and to, if you will, be subject unto them. If you will, stay close to them, to stay in their house, if you will. Mary and Joseph were right to expect Jesus to follow them. They were right to tell Jesus, come home now, this is what we want you to do. And parents, let me say, there's a time with your children when you are right to tell your children what the rules are. Sometimes parents seem like they're having an inferiority complex or something where they're afraid to make rules for their children. Uh, parents, that's your job to guide your children. It is your job to tell them what they can do and can't do. You're there to protect them. You're there to make sure they don't make fatal mistakes. You're there to guide them. So there is a time when, again, parents need to pull children close to them and expect obedience. Jesus, during this time, the Bible says, was subject to them. Look in John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2. But then the time came when Jesus no longer was subject to Mary. Look in John chapter 2, please. John chapter 2, verse number 1. John chapter 2, verse number 1. John chapter 2, verse number 1. You all got it? John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus, obviously Mary, was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Very different reaction. Verse 4, Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Okay, so there was a time when Jesus was subject unto his parents, but there was a time when he was not subject to Mary. See, in this verse here, basically, you know the story, they were at a wedding, and they obviously had miscalculated the amount of refreshments for everybody. They ran out of wine, and Mary jumped in and came to Jesus and said, if you will, to him, Jesus, they have no wine. So she came to Jesus, and she, listen to what I'm saying, and then I'll prove it in a minute. She said, Jesus, this is a chance for you to show who you are. Jesus, this is a chance for you to prove that you could do miracles that you're sent from God. Jesus, I want you to demonstrate your power. Jesus, come here and do a miracle for us. If you will, show everybody that you are the Son of God and I am not an adulteress like they've been saying. Show them that you truly are from heaven and that you're not a product of immorality on my part before we were married years ago with Joseph, before I was married to Joseph years ago. Look in John chapter 6, verse 42. John chapter 6, verse 42. We have to understand that there had been accusations against uh, Jesus and indirectly towards Mary. Okay, when Jesus told everybody that he came from heaven, that he was God, if you will, in flesh, that is 
father was God the Father, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was not his father. Everybody said, you're crazy. You're, you're out of your mind. And they calculated when Jesus was born, they weren't foolish, they were uh, intelligent. They said, we know that you were born of Joseph, obviously, before your wedding day. Uh, again, we know that you really are the son of Joseph. In John chapter 6, verse 42, the Bible says there, uh, uh, hath not the scripture, I'm sorry, uh, John chapter 6, verse 42, uh, and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of God? No, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. You have to understand, this was going on all the time about Jesus. They said, you're not the son of God, you're the son of Joseph. And we know your story. And especially when he went to Nazareth, they said, listen, we know your mother and father. And we know where you're from. And we know the lie you're telling. You're not from God. You are simply the product of immorality. And so basically, this had been going on all the time to Jesus. Obviously, indirectly, it would have been a, a blot on the testimony of Mary and Joseph as well. And so here, at this point, look, if you would, back to John chapter 2, uh, jo uh, Mary comes up to Jesus and says, listen, they have no wine. John chapter 2, verse number 3, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. Watch. What does Jesus say back to her? Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Okay, that's a crucial statement right there. Jesus replying to Mary. Again, does Jesus know Mary's heart? Does he know her intentions? Of course he does. She said, it's very hard for us to tell. All she says is, they have no wine. Okay, Jesus responds to her. He said, listen, mine hour is not yet come. There's going to come a time when I'm going to prove who I am. But it's not going to be when you tell me. There's going to be a time, an hour, when I'm going to reveal that I am from God, and it's going to be unquestionable, but you're not going to tell me when and how to do it. Listen, I, 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 I'm not trying, and I'll say this in a few minutes, I'm not being disrespectful to you right now, but my hour is not right now. It's not for you to tell me when to do it. I know in your heart you want everybody to know who I am, and I know that you want to be vindicated, and you want your name to be cleared, and Joseph's name to be cleared, and my name to be cleared. I will prove who I am, and by doing that, I will prove what happened to you too, because as soon as Jesus proves he's the Son of God, immediately everybody will know that Mary was not, uh, had not committed adultery with Joseph before they were married. That all falls into place. You see what I'm saying? They'll realize right away, okay, you were not immoral, but not now. Look in John chapter 7, verse number 8. John chapter 7, verse 8. This little statement is something Jesus said over and over again during his ministry. John chapter 7, verse number 8. John chapter 7, verse number 8. The Bible says in verse 5, neither did his brethren believe in him. Look in John chapter 7, verse number 8. The Bible says, Go ye up unto the feast. Jesus is speaking. I go not up yet unto the feast, for my time is not yet full come. Again, Jesus is saying, listen, it's not time yet. I'm, I'm not going to Jerusalem right now. My time's not there yet. Look in John chapter 7, verse 28. John chapter 7, verse number 28. You all with me? Then cried Jesus, verse 28, John chapter 7, verse 28. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me. And you know whence I am. In other words, you know my history. And I am not come of myself. In other words, I'm telling you I'm not from Joseph. But he that sent me is true whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, 
and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour was not yet come. Look in chapter 8, chapter 8, verse number 20. John chapter 8, verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the what? As he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him. Why? For his what? Hour was not yet come. Look in chapter 12, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Again, Jesus said to Mary back in John chapter 2, mine hour is not yet come yet. And every time something comes up, especially in Jerusalem, he said, listen, it's not going to happen yet. It's not going to happen yet. It's not going to happen yet. He's going to fulfill his ministry, uh, and then his hour is going to come. In John chapter 12, verse number 23, John chapter 12, verse number 23, Jesus uh, said here and answered them, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much what? He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in his world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So now it's getting closer. Look in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. This is just, just literally, this is just hours now before uh, Judas comes. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should, what? Depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Look in chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus preaches here that night. John chapter 17, verse number 1. John chapter 17, verse number 1. John chapter 17, verse number 1. These words spake Jesus, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is what? Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The hour was come. The hour which basically was the fulfillment of why he came, which was basically to come and to give his life for sinners and to shed his blood for us so that we could have forgiveness. Jesus said, listen, this is the hour where everyone is going to realize who I am. How is that going to happen? Jesus is going to be crucified, and then he's going to be buried, and three days and three nights later, he's going to what? He's going to rise from the grave. By doing that, Jesus is going to prove that he was not a descendant of Joseph, much less David, much less Abraham, much less Adam, because they all died and stayed dead. The hour is coming now because Jesus is going to have our sins put upon him. He's going to be put in a tomb, and then he's going to rise from the grave, and everybody's going to have their mouth closed. They're going to realize that truly was the Son of God. Because the resurrection is going to prove who he was. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse number 4. A verse, uh, again, that many times uh, we can use uh, as we speak to people about Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse number 4. The proof that Jesus was who he claimed to be was not his miracles. We have to understand the devil does miracles too. The proof that he was who he claimed to be was his resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, and he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the what? Resurrection of the dead. So now Jesus said, the hour is come in John chapter 13 and 17. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be hung on the cross. I'm going to rise from the grave. Everyone is going to know that Jesus Christ was not uh, the son of Joseph and, of course, Mary and Joseph 
did not commit adultery. They were pure people. He was not the illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph, as many people wanted to believe. Mary was innocent. Going back to John chapter 2, if you would, John chapter 2 there, Jesus said, listen, mine hour has not yet come. A little while later, my hour has not come. My hour has not yet come. When Jesus was crucified, and then, of course, his death enabled his resurrection, that's when his hour came. That's when people realized who he was. So what's he saying to Mary? Mary, I'm not doing what you want me to do at this time. Right now, you want me to prove something. You want my hour to be now, my hour of glorification or my hour of showing my glory and power. Sorry, Mary, that's not the Father's plan right now. Again, I'm simply saying there was a time when Jesus did not submit himself to Mary. Look in John chapter 2 again. John chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, what? What did he call Mary? Okay, this word woman is something that, again, uh, it's part of their culture back then. Let me say this. When Jesus called Mary woman, it was not a sign of disrespect. Okay, look if you would to John chapter 19, verse number 25. John chapter 19, verse number 25. Again, I'm just using the Bible to shed light on the Bible. And that's a good thing to do, amen? John chapter 19, verse 25. John chapter 19, verse 25. Jesus is on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 25. And the Bible says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother... Mary, of course, and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, what? Woman. He called her the same thing. Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to his disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. When Jesus was on the cross, again, that was a very tender moment. He called Mary woman. Culturally, it was not a sign of disrespect. It was just a sign of saying, as I'll show you in a few minutes, you're, you're not and I'm not under your authority. You are, again, it was a formal name, if you will. It's almost, it's similar to how I call married women by their last name usually. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a formality. It's not a sign of disrespect, but it is not a sign of submission. It is not calling her my mother. It is not calling her an authority. If you will, look at the next uh, phrase in verse 4, John chapter 2, verse number 4. You all with me? Are you sure? John chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus said unto her, what? Talk to me. Hello. Jesus said unto her, he called her woman. Watch the next phrase. What have I to do with thee? Okay, as soon as you read that, your mind ought to go right away. Look in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. What have I to do with thee? When Mary came to Jesus, she said, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what have I to do with thee? Okay, it's not a sign of disrespect. Okay, it's not like calling your mother the old lady. But at the same time, it's saying, listen, we're not, we're, we're, I don't have to listen to you and you don't have to listen to me. We're, we're, I'm not under your authority right now. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse number 23. Mark chapter 1, verse number 23. Again, this is a cultural expression. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with and what? unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? In other words, this demon is calling out and says, listen, what do you have to do with me? I'm not, 
I'm not here to deal with you. Uh, I don't want to work with you. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's simply saying we're separate, if you will, at this point. Look in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, please, verse number 2. Mark chapter 5, verse number 2. Mark chapter 5, verse number 2. Mark chapter 5, verse number 2. The Bible says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with chains, uh, fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Sounds like some of our bus captains. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Okay, that's not one of our bus captains. That's one of our bus workers. Uh, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried with a loud voice, watch, and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high? Again, it's simply saying, I don't want to follow your commands. I don't want to deal with you. When Jesus uh, talked to Mary here, uh, basically he was saying, woman, what have I to do with thee? I'm not under your authority. Woman, what have I to do with thee? I don't have to listen to you. Woman, again, what have I to do with thee? You have no right to tell me at this type, time of life what you want me to do and when you want me to do it. Are you all with me? There was a time when Jesus was subject to Mary. But there was a time in Jesus' life very clearly, you say, well, that's his mother. Yeah, I know. And he said, woman, what have I to do with thee? In other words, you mind your own business, I'll take care of my business now. Listen, you do what you have to do, I'll do what I have to do. Look in John chapter 5 very quickly, John chapter 5 verse 36. John chapter 5 verse number 36. And again, parents, stay with me. John chapter 5 verse number 36, because this is where we want to get as mothers and fathers. Listen, if my child is living in my house, do I have the right to expect them to do what I tell them to do? Of course I do. Okay, it's my house. But when they're on their own, and they're doing their own thing? Do I have a right to butt, uh, butt into their life and to start telling them I want them to do this? Not at all. Not at all. See, and this is the, this is the uh, contrast between Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 2. At this point, Jesus said, woman, listen, I, I like you. Woman, what have I to do with thee? I love you. I'm going to honor you. But you're not going to tell me at this point in my life that I have to follow certain rules because I answer no longer to you. Look in John chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus said, but I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Mary, Father, hath given me to finish the same works I do. Bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And Mary herself. No, and the Father himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Uh, again, he says, listen, uh, at this point, he was doing what the Father wanted him to do. In John chapter 8, verse number 29, uh, Jesus said this. He says, and, all, and, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. I do always those things that please him. Here's my point. I, as a parent, have a right to expect my children to obey me, but I'm, my goal is not for them to stay there the rest of my life. I don't want my son or daughter being in my house the rest of my life. Okay, I want them to move out. And I want them to say, Dad, Mom, I love you. I'm going to, I am going to follow God with my life. And parents, we need to be careful because there's a time when we need to take control. And there's a time when we say, listen, you need to pray about it and do God's will. Now you need to follow God. And parents, let me remind you a simple truth, but sometimes we struggle with this. Our children are not our own. Okay, God did not give me to Alona and Jacob Dingus 
uh, 50 years ago, for them, God created every child, not for the parents, but God created those children for himself. And our children are entrusted to us to get them going. This is a terrible illustration, but the guy across the street from me used to raise uh, uh, seeing-eye dogs. And so it was really cool because my son had a puppy every two years to play with. And I didn't have to feed it. I didn't have to clean up after it. The, the crazy little thing would run all over the place. And they would give him a puppy. Uh, usually it was a golden Labrador. And uh, they would take care of these uh, puppies. And my son would sit on it, ride it, and all this kind of stuff and have constant puppies. But after two years, it was sad because they always shipped them off to the, to the seeing eye school. And so they raised those seeing eye dogs till two years, and then they had to give them because they did not belong to, the, to my neighbor. He just raised them until the seeing eye school could uh, take them and, and train them to be a uh, uh, dog that would lead about a blind person. Okay, our children need to get to the point where Jesus is, where Jesus is saying, I know what the Father wants me to do, and I'm doing it. You with me? That is the goal of our parenting. And look in John chapter 2, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verse number 5. John chapter 2, verse number 5. <laughs> I like Mary's response. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? In other words, I'm not under your authority. We're separate. Mine hour is not yet come. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what God the Father wants me to do when God the Father wants me to do it. Verse 5, his mother saith unto the servants, whatever he saith unto you, you do it. <laughs> Very wise. She said, listen, okay, all right, that's it. Servants, you He's on his own. Servants, you do whatever he says. I'm not going to try to dictate this situation. Okay, which leads me to say this. Jesus, at this point, understood that Jesus was independent and serving the Father. Amen? And our children need to get to that point, and our goal is to get them to the point where they know what God wants them to do, and they're serving God with their life. And so as parents, there must be a time when we hold them, but there must be a time on purpose when we push them away. Are you with me? And I believe that we make mistakes on either extremes. I heard something years ago before I had children. This was in Bible college. You may have heard it too, Brother John. We were in college together, but I listened and got good grades and you didn't. But um, I was listening and I heard something that I have always kept in the back of my mind. I had this in my mind when Hannah was born and Jacob was born. Somewhere along the line, I don't even know who said it. They said, listen, when a baby is given to you, that baby is 100% dependent on you as a father and a mother. When you send that child off into the world to serve God, that child should be zero dependent on you. And I had that, I've had that in my mind for many, many years, and I've been incrementing it every year and on purpose gauging myself. I, have, I understood that when God gave me a baby, that child needed me to do everything, but my goal was to help that child grow to the point where that child does not need me anymore. My goal is to try to get my children to be independent where they're serving God. And that, by the way, is the best thing for our children. That, by the way, is the best thing for us as parents. And that is ultimately what God expects us to do, and that's what God deserves for us to do. Amen? I like the uh, one time I was having a conversation with a deacon at First Baptist Church, and uh, he was an older man, and uh, he was talking about his son. His son became a missionary, and uh, he was talking about some of the things his son was doing as a missionary, and he was speaking about his son, like, you know, he's crazy, you know, he's doing this, and he's doing this, and man, he's got a vision, and man, he's just, he's just wild, and, and I picked up very quickly that this son had surpassed the father in faith and in serving God, and it wasn't a bad thing. The father was very happy about it, but again, 
again, it reminded me, and it was also a very happy uh, moment in a sense because I realized that that father had given his son to God and then God had done greater things with that son than the father ever would have done. I'm glad the father didn't try to hold on to his son and keep him at his level. Are you with me? Listen, my son or your son or your daughter, my daughter could do greater things for God than any of us here. Let's not keep them at our level. Let's raise them, prepare them as best we can, and then say when they're 18 or 21 or they move out, whatever the case may be, again, that's between you and your wife, when they move out and they, they're on their own, God, I've done everything I can to do, and you step back and listen, you let that ship sail and follow God. That's our goal, and we're missing it sometimes. I think the biggest struggle for us as parents is to be balanced with this thing, not to push. I know parents who push the kids too fast. And I know parents who are holding on too long. Okay, I remember when I grew up, there was a kid in our school, and the sad thing is this, uh, that those parents pushed that kid along way too fast. He would be exactly a picture-perfect uh, uh, example of what we used to call a latchkey kid. You know what a latchkey kid is? It's the kid that had the key to the house around his neck. And the kid, when he was dropped off by the school bus, would go to an empty house, and that kid would be in his house from 3 o'clock till 8 or 9 o'clock when his parents got home from work. And let me tell you, I'm thinking of this particular young man, exactly what I'm talking about. The kid was left to himself. And that was the kid that used to play rock music so loud, half the block could hear it. That was the kid who would have uh, older kids over to his house because nobody was home, and they'd hang out in his house for hours God knows what kind of trouble they were getting into and what they were doing. You know why? Because those parents were letting this kid, when he was 13, 14, 15 years old, have the responsibility, unearned, of someone that was an adult. And they messed up with that kid. And that kid got in serious trouble. And I don't know where that kid is today. You know why? Because the parents moved along too fast. Don't push your kids fast, faster than they, what they ought to go. You say, well, my circumstances and this and this. Listen, no, we need to protect our children. I was talking to somebody one time about Christian school, and they were saying, no, put them out in the world. They're not going to face the world. I said, yes, my children will face the world when I've done everything I can do to strengthen them and prepare them. And when they're ready, yes, I have to face the world. They have to face the world. But I'm not throwing my kid in the world and, and have them in a, in a public school where it's, you know, three, 300 kids against one. No way. That doesn't make any sense. Listen, when they're ready, when they're strong, when they have their convictions set, when they're set in life, when, they're, when they know what they're going to do with their life, then I'll send them out in the world. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep them with me until they're almost like a, like a, like a clay figure is hardened. Once it's hard, now you could put it out there. And listen, we need to be with our children in the formula of years. But again, children that are moved along too fast and they're 100% on their own or 90% on their own when they're 12, 13, 14 years old or whatever, making their own decisions and, and basically making their own choices with friends and all that kind of stuff, let me tell you why that breeds a lot of insecurity. Kids are very insecure because they know that they're not ready for that. And they, they, they know they're making a lot of bad choices. And they're getting involved in things that are going to get them in trouble. On the other hand, we need to be careful not to go too slow. And, and let me say this specifically. This is especially important with boys. My daughter, I want her to be dependent on me. She's a girl. I want her to be dependent on her husband. Personally, I think girls are different to some extent. I think we need to watch over girls, and I think that one day when I walk her down the aisle and say I do and, you know, that, then she's, then she's gone. But especially with our boys, I think we're dropping the ball. We need to make our boys more independent than they are. I think our boys are coddled. I think our boys... You know, they don't know how to make decisions. They don't know how to stand under peer pressure. They don't know how to uh, do something and follow through on it. Why? Because I, I believe we're moving along too slow, especially with our boys. Look, boys need to go out there 
and experience some of the consequences. I'm not talking fatal things. I'm not talking let them go to a party where they get drunk. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't protect them too much. Let them get hurt a little bit so they understand consequences. Sometimes we want to protect them. <gasps> the, the stove is hot. He, he's going to burn his hand. Look, if, if the kid's 12 years old and you tell him not to touch the stove and he touches the stove, let him touch the stove. It's a good experience. Now he learns this is what it feels like when you get burned. Don't get burned. They have to experience a little bit making their own choices. But sometimes we hover over them. We're like hawking them, watching them all the time. And mothers, sometimes you're a little bit guilty of that with your boys. You're, you're keeping your boys close to you. Listen, that's not your little boy anymore. The, the, the kid weighs, you know, more than me. He weighs, you know, 160, 180 pounds. And, and you know, you listen, just let him go out there and get hurt a little bit. That's part of life. You know how I learned how to succeed? I failed about 200 times. And then I figured, oh, this don't work. Oh, that hurts. Oh, this is not good. And finally, I was like, oh, finally, I figured it out. And a lot of times, boys that are coddled and protected, basically, they get frustrated with themselves. They basically get frustrated with their own inability to make things, make things happen. And we need to, 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 we need to release them from the apron spring, uh, uh, strings. Amen? I love this, and I'll be done here in a minute. I love this. Somebody said this years ago, and I don't know who said this either. <laughs> I don't know who said anything. When you get to this age, you forget everything. But somebody taught me this once. This is a great, great truth. They said, here's parenting. Who wants to be a kid? Okay, parent, you want to be a kid? You look like a kid, so. Come up here, stand up, you dope. Okay, this is parenting. Okay, I'm going I'm I'm to be your father, okay? Let me teach you something that I learned to be very practical. Okay, Prandy's going to go out into the neighborhood, and there's some bad boys there. You're the only good kid here. Now, listen, here's what we do. Parents, I'm going to train and teach. Now, listen, I want you to... I want you to be firm. I want you to be respectful and kind, but I want you to stand your ground. If they try to push you to do something, listen, there's nothing wrong with you saying no to them and saying, I'm not going to do that, and uh, standing up to them. And listen, they need the influence of a righteous man amongst them. Okay, what we do as a parent, we train. I think I know what's going to happen, but I don't know. Okay, so I send him out. And he deals with whatever he goes through during the day. I don't know. Okay, so then at night he comes back because he knows where the food is. And then I say, hey, how'd it go today? And what I do, what I'm doing now is I trained. Now I'm basically checking. How did it work? Oh, did they beat you up? No, no they didn't beat you up. Did, 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 did they seem like they respected your, your, your stand? No. Okay, well, here's, here's how we're going to do it better. What I'm doing is I'm training, then I'm testing my training, then I pull him back, and then I see, how did it go? So I train a little bit more, and what do I do? I send him out again. Okay, go out there and see how it's working. Okay, after, then I test what I, then we test what I learned. He comes back home for dinner. He always comes home for dinner. Then I train a little bit more, how to go. And what I'm doing is more and more, I'm sending him out. More and more, I'm sending him out. I'm more and more, I'm sending him out. What am I doing? I'm trying to prepare him for the day that he does my funeral, and he has to face these guys by himself. You with me? Thanks, Brandy. You could be seated. Basically, as parents, what we're doing is we're continuing to come back, assess the situation, go out. And what happens is, little by little, I hold on looser and looser and looser. After a while, I check with him every two days. After a while, I say to him, okay, when I first start out training, I say, listen, I want you to do this. After he gets a little older, I say, so, so what do you think you should do with these guys? How do you think you should handle this? See how I'm changing I'm giving him more freedom. Or maybe I'll say something like this. I, I, you know, I think you should do this. 
or maybe you could try this. Which one do you want to do? I start giving him freedom. I start giving him choices. I start, I start asking. What I'm doing is I'm building him up to make his own decisions. That's my goal. Because the day will come that I'm not going to be here to tutor him whenever he has a problem. Are you with me? And so the principle of holding on, don't let go too fast too soon. But especially with your boys, listen, push them forward. Make them into leaders. Amen? The, the, the shameful thing is our, our young men are not the leaders that they could be and the leaders they need to be. You know why? It's because we're holding on too long. You need, to, you need to put them out there on the road and see, you know, the proverbial the, where the rubber meets the road. Let's see what he can do. Okay, and then pull him back, readjust the motor a little bit, and then try it again. Okay, pull it back. Where did he fall short? Tighten that area. Put him out again. Eventually, Ben, he's going to go, and he's going to do something great. He's going to lead us home. He's going to get married. He's going he's to do something for God. And the same thing is true of our girls to a great extent, but I'm saying this, the principle of parenting, holding on when you should hold on and moving them forward and letting go when you need to let go and move them forward. It's a very, very important principle, and I think that the balance is very crucial. And we basically, it's that simple statement I said in the beginning, listen, when you get a baby, 100% dependent on you. When you're planning on sending them out, they should be zero dependent on you. Let's, let's work on that because some of us are stuck back here when we should be here. Others are way up here and you should be still back there. Next week we'll cover another principle. Let's pray. I would thank you for this great opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to be parents, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting us with our children, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you... Help us, Lord, to uh, train him right for you, Lord. Train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from him. Lord, help us to uh, just uh, do what we need to do, Lord. Push him towards you, Lord. Lord, uh, help us not to uh, neglect our responsibilities, Lord, and, uh, and, and send them out too, too quick or, uh, and trust them with the wrong people or the wrong environments so that, Lord, that they will get away from you. Help us, Lord, to uh, be consistent. Lord, just help us, Lord, to uh, be on point. Jesus, I pray.